Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. You are listening to episode four of my new podcast. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, a writer, and now a podcaster as well. And I first want to say thank you so much for all the support I've received since launching the podcast. Um, expert advice said that I should have three episodes ready to go and launch at the same time. So I recorded all three and launched them together before getting a chance to get any feedback from anyone. And so now that they're out there in the world, I'm really appreciating hearing from people. Um, for example, Haley has reached out on Facebook and said that she's looking forward to more fashion and beauty mentioned on this, on the show. Sally has said that she likes how I ask guests to recommend products and things like that at the end of my interviews. That kind of feedback is awesome because, well, of course, this is a project to uh, to please myself. What it really is about, which it should be, is to be able to help all of you who are listening to entertain you. And also what I really want to do is make sure that after each episode, you take away something that you want to try or buy or whatever the case may be, some sort of tip that that resonates with you. So I really appreciate getting that feedback so that I can make it the kind of episode you want it to be. On today's show, it's a parenting-themed episode. I'm going to be recommending an amazing book for teachers as well as for parents who have a child who struggles in school. I'm also going to share some tips for birthday parties from a parent perspective and a teacher perspective and a little bit about uh, great party themes and some loot bag alternatives. And my special guest today is Carol Tuttle. She is the child whisperer. She's a former teacher. She's a mom of five. And we're going to talk about her article, 15 Things You Should Give Up to Be a Happy Parent, which is really interesting. Today's episode of This Mom Loves is sponsored by Flintstones Multivitamins, the number one brand choice of moms with a range of formulas to help your kids stay healthy. Flintstones Multivitamins help fill vitamin gaps where there is a shortfall in your diet always read and follow the label. So I'm going to jump right in with what I love this week. And this is a book called Helping Your Child with Language-Based Learning Disabilities. And I'll have a link to all of the information on uh, the show notes for the site. So this momloves.ca slash podcasts. And again, this is episode four, and it's written by Dr. Daniel Franklin. And the subtitle is Strategies to Succeed in School and Life with Dyslexia, Dysgraphia, Dyscalculia, ADHD, and Processing Disorders. And it's an amazing book. And what I just want to do is share a few direct quotes from it that I really love. So first one. My number one goal in this book is to teach you that the most productive way to promote social, emotional, and learning development in children is by enhancing the quality of their relationship with their parents, caretakers, and teachers. In other words, creating a healthy relationship with your child is the best way to help him or her become a successful learner. And Dr. Franklin is so big on positive relationships with the teachers in your child's life, so important. I like another line in the book. He says, all people want to be treated kindly, and it is almost impossible to be too kind to children. Another point that's so excellent, especially when you have a child who's struggling in school and you're trying to help them with their homework and that sort of thing, a tip that he gives is model emotional regulation. Adults often become unsettled by a dysregulated child, and when adults display their agitation, children grow even more upset. It's critical for adults to understand that remaining emotionally regulated is an enormously demanding task for a child. And that's so true. And I mean, 
I find it much easier to remain regulated myself with my students than I do with my with my own children at home, that's for sure. But I know as a kindergarten teacher, sometimes parents will say to me, you know, my child has just started school, now they're coming home and they're having tantrums and what's going on. But a lot of times it's just that it took so much energy for them through the day to continue to, you know, regulate themselves and behave appropriately and to be, you know, active in school. And so they are, they're just exhausted. They've given it all by the time they get home. So that's where it's just sort of um, support that can be needed. And another really good tip he gives, I know sometimes parents just feel like the teacher isn't the right fit for their kid. And I like this piece of advice. He says, some years your child will have a teacher who is a perfect match for his or her learning needs. Other years, the match might not be as good. As a parent, your job is to forge a positive working relationship with every teacher your child has. Again, so important. Even if you don't quite click with them or your child doesn't quite click with them, a positive relationship is only going to help for your child. So those are just my own little highlights of what I loved in the book. But really, there are chapters on everything. There's you know an overview of different difficulties that your child might have, tips for succeeding at school, navigating school. He's got tips for specific issues like dyslexia or dysgraphia, those sorts of things, ADHD, succeeding life at school. Um, life outside of school, all of those things. So it's written for parents, but honestly, I think it's a must read for teachers as well. It's so good. I found some great things in here on easy ways to teach sight words, how to create a culture of writing in your home, how to help your child when they have to learn spelling words, all those sorts of things that are are very helpful. The only thing I would mention is that it is an American book. So there are some parts where he talks about, you know, education legislation, or there might be, you know, numbers of bills and things like that certain laws that don't apply in Canada. So just keep that in mind when you're reading. But everything else I find extremely helpful. There's advice that takes you from kindergarten right through into high school, depending on the age of your child. So again, helping your child with language-based learning disabilities. And it's written by Daniel Franklin. I would highly recommend. And now is the point on the show where I want to let you know where you can reach out and find me because I love to hear from listeners. So I'm on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves, on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves, and my website is thismomloves.ca. And it just, it makes my heart swell with excitement when someone tweets me to say, oh, I'm just listening to this episode, or they leave a, a comment on Facebook or message me to say, oh, I really liked your interview with. So, you know, anytime somebody can reach out and do that, it really does mean not mean more than you could ever know. For the lifestyle section of the show today, I just want to talk a little bit about kids' birthday parties. So I am not the kind of mom that throws big elaborate birthday parties. I mean, we've done a couple of neat ones with themes over the years, like a butterfly party and a pajama party. We love the PC cooking school parties at Loblaws, Superstore, places like that. Each of my girls has had one and attended them before, so that's great. Most of the time we do low-key things, and quite honestly, often my girls just have one friend over or we do a family thing or you know, maybe we go on a little trip or something like that. But I know birthday parties are a big deal for a lot of people. So for my blog, a few years ago, I collaborated with my friend Krista, who's a teacher I was working with at the time, also a mom of two girls, and she is the queen of the themed birthday party. So I have links in my show notes for today that give you all sorts of themes, and it includes food to go with the themes, the cake, the loop bags, activities, all sorts of things. So there are things like the polka dot party, the rock star party. There are a lot, because I have girls and she has girls, a lot may seem more geared for girls, but there are things like the science party. So amazing. And my most pinned Pinterest post ever 
is the Amazing Race Party. If you want to uh, throw a party for your child that mimics the show, The Amazing Race, super popular on Pinterest, I can tell you, and definitely popular with kids who attend that party too. So that's at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts and click on episode four to get all the information on those great themes. A few pieces of advice I just want to give as a teacher, if your child is having a birthday party, if you are going to be inviting half of the kids or half of the girls or half of the boys, that's great. If you're inviting more than half, I would consider just inviting all. Kids talk about birthday parties at school. And of course, kids have to learn that they can't be invited to everything. But when they're they are the only one or two in the class not invited, that can be really difficult. Talk to your children, those who are hosting the party and those who are attending parties, about not discussing events like that in front of other boys and girls at school and how it could be hurtful and make them feel left out. And if you're sending invitations to school, try to send them directly to the teacher, if the teacher allows that, in you know communication bag, agenda, planner, whatever they call it, and just write a note saying, could you please distribute these discreetly? Because we have no problem in my class just tucking them in the bags and then none of the kids at school even know that it's happened and they find their invitation when they get home, which is great. But I have seen, especially in older grades, kids who kind of come and they're handing them out in the hall in front of the other kids. And I know of a couple cases where where feelings have been really hurt. So just kind of keep that in mind, the discretion aspect. And of course, you're, you're welcome to invite whoever you want to your home or to your party. But if you can just um, teach your kids that lesson about not hurting other kids' feelings, label them too. Sometimes in kindergarten, kids will come with no names on them. And, you know, the parent might have said, oh, give these to your friends, but then they give them to the grade eight buddy who helps them on the bus every day or whatever, and they may not necessarily go to the right people. So you might want to ask your child at home, what are the names of your friends so that you can, uh, you can do that part at home. And then it's a lot easier for the adults to distribute. The other thing that's big on social media in terms of discussion is loot bags. I am in most ways a minimalist and I don't like clutter and I don't like stuff around. So I'm not really big on, you know, big bags of dollar store stuff and junk that that get sent home. So a few other ideas that I have seen or done or heard about is if you're doing an activity, like if you're providing a, you know, going to the movies party or a bowling party, rock climbing, I've seen a lot of great things like that. I feel like that's kind of the loot bag. You don't need to really send kids home with something when you're providing something like that as well. When there's some sort of craft, Eva, my 10-year-old, a couple of years ago went to a birthday party and they made little fairy garden pots, which was awesome. And that was in lieu of a loot bag. She came home with that. We've had it on our front porch for the last couple of um, spring and summer seasons. And she's very proud of it. Very neat. A lot better than um, than all the little junker things that are going to end up in the garbage. Have something like a painting party. Um, Eve also went to one where somebody came in and they painted these canvases with pumpkins on them because it's at Halloween time, which was amazing. Tie-dyeing shirts, that sort of thing. If you want to give them something to take home, something natural like maybe um, a little plant or a sapling that they can put in the garden, maybe a gift card that they can use, even just you know, if you're having a small party, $5 for a bookstore, the ice cream shop or something like that. Maybe print a photo from a party, from the party, or put it in a frame. Homemade Play-Doh, something that the child can be involved in. Like if you're hosting the party, your child can help get these things ready, like making something homemade that the kids can take home. Um, books, the Scholastic Book Orders, I do those all the time at school. They often have like a $1.99 featured book or something like that in the um, in the catalog. 
the flyer that if you're having a few kids to the party, you could just pick up a few copies of that and that could be the little um, loot bag item that they take home. Even edible things like a little custom decorated cookie with their name on it or something like that that kids can eat and will enjoy. Those are all, um, in my mind, excellent ideas and alternatives to loot bags. So again, if you want any more information about party themes, you can go to thismumloves.ca slash podcasts and click on episode four. And now it's time for a quick word from our sponsor, Flintstones Multivitamins. My girls have been taking Flintstones vitamins daily since they were three years old to help supplement vitamin gaps in their diets. Liv prefers the traditional chewable style that I remember from when I was a kid, and Eva likes the gummies. Flintstone multivitamins come in different formulas, like extra C to maintain immune function, plus iron to help with normal growth and development, and the complete formula to help in the development of bones and teeth with vitamin D and calcium. You can buy Flintstones multivitamins wherever vitamins are sold. Always read and follow the label. My special guest this week is Carol Tuttle. She is a mom of five, also a grandmother. Carol is a former teacher and parenting expert. She's the author of the best-selling book, The Child Whisperer, and host of the very popular podcast of the same name. Welcome, Carol. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I wanted to talk to you about your article, 15 Things You Should Give Up to Be a Happy Parent. I read this and I loved it. And so the first thing I want to ask you is how you came up with that angle, because I feel like everything we read is all the things we have to do and pile on and more and more and more to be a happy parent or a good parent. So what made you decide to go with things we should give up? Well, the the idea in that is that when we think we have to do things or should do things, they're not driven from a real heart-centered place. And in my, I've been in the self-development and personal development field for over 30 years. And parenting is part of that niche that I serve. And what I see continually in the adults that I support, my online influence is all the scripts and the kind of rules they live by that don't support happiness. They just aren't necessary. And they were acquired. They were acquired through culture or family or they weren't someone sitting down and really through introspection or meditation making a decision about them. (laughs) They were just things that are acquired through day-to-day living that become habit until you stop and go, why am I doing that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I don't know if we'll be able to get to all 15, but I definitely want to hit on some of my favorites from your list. So the first one I want to ask you about is give up supposed to. Can you speak a little more about that one? Well, that's something I've taught for years that when you feel really like there's something weighing upon you and you really, it's like, ah, you're not motivated to do it. It feels, you feel angst or frustration. It doesn't support, there's not an ease in it. There's not this coming into it easily. I encourage people to ask the question, is this something I feel like I'm supposed to do or I have to do, or is this something I really want to do? Mm -hmm. Where's this coming from? And so much of what we operate in, in the role of parenting is really handed down from a lot of influence in our lives. You know, you don't, most people aren't handed parenting books before they have children. What gets people to read parenting books is issues. It's, I need some help. And so that's just a 
introspection to go, where is this coming from? Is this something what that, that I even want to do or would even support the bigger picture of what I want for my family? For sure. I love that one. And the next one I want to ask you about is give up keeping score. Well, and that's a probably heightened more than ever. It's something that sort of existed in the female culture, unfortunately, for decades. And now that we have social media to kind of ramp up the game, women are really good at comparing themselves to other women. Mothers mm-hmm. have a habit of comparing themselves with other mothers. And you can't ever make a comparison without somebody winning and losing and who's better than or less than. So if you just give up the comparative process and just say, everyone's doing their thing. I'm doing mine. They're doing theirs. I wish them well. (laughs) Bless them. It can be hard to the keeping score one, I think, when you've got your partner at home as well, because like you said, everybody kind of does their own thing, but it can be hard to, you know, I took the kids here, or, you know, I got up early and did this. And so then you owe this. And especially when kids are little, I find that can be, that can be a hard one when you're tired and you're, you know, you always think you're the one doing more, it seems, whereas really both are just doing the best they can. Yeah. And, and you got to communicate. That's the key in that one. There's a lot, you know, most Parents don't sit down and communicate on a regular weekly basis to say, what, what is it that, you know, what are our kind of, what's our operating manual here? Who's, what are your expectations? What are mine? Uh, they could be very far off from each other. And there's a lot of that, that generates resentment then when you have expectations that go unmet and a comparison in that space. And that will then turn into a scorekeeping kind of process. But you can eliminate all that by communicating, getting really clear on what are the expectations. Let's get aligned with them. Let's let's create some joint expectations so that we can not fall into that trap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The next piece of advice you have, I really need to take to heart. It's the give up yelling one. And the funny thing is I'm a teacher and I'm not a yeller as a teacher at all. I can be super calm and, you know, do everything I'm supposed to do with my students, but the yelling at home, I will fully admit can be a bit of an issue. So what's your take on that one? The yelling in my experience, I was a yeller and it becomes a trap you fall into because it does work in the sense of it gets you to it gets a response in most cases. Yes, exactly. So you'll resort to it because you want the response and you're usually tired. Uh, You spend a lot of your energy in other places and you really just want cooperation. And so you'll default to it too easily because you know it will get a response. But cooperation to me is one where it shows the other person is eagerly and willing and the child is wanting to engage. So it doesn't get, it's sort of a false cooperation because a real cooperative child is really eagerly enrolling themselves in whatever the request is. And so you've got to learn to talk to your children. So a lot of yelling happens too when you're busy and moving around. You're not stopping. I'm amazed and this has just been a part of, I think, culture for decades of the parenting culture is stopping and looking at your child when you talk to them 
engaging with them, looking in their eyes, doing the dishes, doing something else, head down into something else and you're communicating. And you won't be as effective as a communicator. Again, this is communication skills. Yelling is a communication default to get what you want, but it's a shaming effect on a child. Okay. So what do you suggest? Because exactly like you said, it's almost my own learned behavior. Whereas if I you know, make a request really calmly, it might not get met. Whereas if I raise my voice, I might get the action. I might get the response. What could I try instead? Well, I'd sit my child down, look at them and say, all right, this is what I want. Lay it out and say, uh, are you, you know, what do you want? Are you willing to help? Depends on the age of the child too, you know, mm-hmm. toddlers versus grade school versus teen. For sure. And there, you know, I have, I see this in my daughter who is um, a mother of four boys. The mom, she as a mom can resort to yelling. Her husband, the dad never yells. And they know when he like says it how it is, like, this doesn't change, or if you do this, this is the next thing. This is the consequence, and he'll deliver. He's firm, he's clear, he's kind, and he mm-hmm. follows through. And right. children learn very quickly, what do I want? <laughs> and they'll do yeah. you know, they They obey him much more eagerly than their mom when they're fussing and not willing to be cooperative. Because he's just really grounded in this ability to stay clear as a parent and deliver the consequences and let the child choose. Winning and choose. It's up to you, but I will follow through on my consequence. And I think after repeated practice of that, kids know she means what she says. I'm gonna I'm gonna cooperate. Okay, that will be my my goal for the next little while. I'm going to lower my voice. Discipline, no question. Yeah. Um, so your next piece of advice I'd love to give up your need to look perfect. Well, that could be both yourself as the, the mom and also your family. You know, that you've got to set a give a certain appearance and who you're looking perfect for. You need it for yourself. You need this we're perfect because I feel better about myself. Well, that's a self-esteem issue that you need to work on because your exterior perception of appearance should not be supporting yourself. Self-esteem is an inside job. And if, again, it's so others see you a certain way, that's just about acceptance and thinking you're only acceptable with a certain appearance and, and, what you present to the world. And that very well could come from your background. You may have been raised by a mother who had that very strongly in her emphasis. And so you got to look at what's the origin of this. Maybe I'm just carrying on something that really wasn't supportive to my family of origin, but it's so entrained in me. I'm doing it too. Is you try to consider it could be um, something that's you were raised to believe is important because I think in, in like in my mother's culture in her time, that was a big deal to, to make, keep up appearances. Mm-hmm. And I think each generation can kind of drop that. And you want to, you know, my goal was I want to be a functional, healthy family because we're just the better for it. 
And if that appears to be that we're a successful family to others, great. Yeah, but that wasn't my motive because I needed other people to see me a certain way. It was, I'm really motivated to help us really thrive, that that I have a job, a responsibility to raise happy, thriving adult, you know, humans into their adult experience. And, and that was my goal. Well, and I think this generation too also has the issue of social media and comparing themselves, like if they're wanting to look perfect and comparing themselves to what they're seeing on Facebook and Instagram. And it's just so important to kind of, you know, enjoy social media with that filter of knowing people are presenting their best selves and their best, you know, best side of their family and everything on there. And so it's great to sort of enjoy it, but not to compare or to feel like you've got to live up to that in your own real life. Yeah. In all honesty, when the camera's off, the the lens isn't shooting the picture, they're dealing with just as much stuff as anybody else. You know, if not, if not more, <laughs> it's really I know I I'm an online influencer. I know what it takes to run multiple platforms. And uh, there's a lot. I mean, I didn't do that when my children were young. So I was like, wow, there's got to be a lot of crazy in that world. That's a lot to juggle. (laughs) For sure. Um, Another one of your tips really resonates with me and it is give up the food fight. I mean, myself, I've always had a lot of food aversions growing up and one of my children has definitely taken after me. So we don't do a lot of fighting about food, but what are your thoughts about that? Well, in my book, The Child Whisper, I teach the four types of human nature and each of those has a sort of a very strong uh, preference for eating tendencies and their palate. And the type four child, which I designate as the more serious child, has an intellectual connection with the world and has a very refined palate. In fact, it's really true to their nature that they have this gift for refining things and for actually being very acutely aware of inconsistencies and being able to perfect the world. They can be come across as know-it-alls or very what's in the food world picky eaters. And I like to change that description to particular. They have a very narrow palate. They have a very um, repetitive nature. They can eat the same thing every day for years, if not, you know, months to years, the same breakfast. And so when you understand what's kind of behind this, you give up a lot of that. Uh, Again, the expectations change. You go, oh, uh, my child has these predetermined tendencies that I'm working against. If I work with them, everything goes a lot smoother. So don't fight about, just put out the healthy options at mealtime and allow them to eat what they want to eat. And what, what some of those tendencies are, get more informed about where this is coming from so that you can work with it instead of fighting something that maybe you're going to make worse. Because you don't, you're not informed enough. You don't understand. I, I have my own podcast and one of the more popular ones was the series I did on each of the four types eating tendencies, that there's very innate preferences that we have when it comes to our experience with food. And we're born with those and you can trace it throughout your lifetime and go, I've always had that um, preference or that particular tendency. It's just who I am. And so you learn to work with it, which then gives you an ability to build on it. Fighting anything will just 
cause the child to be in a defensive mode. Well, I'm making a note right now that I want to look that up. <laughs> um, the next point you make that I really like as well is give up your role as events coordinator. I think so many parents see themselves as, you know, that that's their job to be the events coordinator. And as a kindergarten teacher, I can tell when kids come into the class who are used to having that events coordinator. So what are your thoughts there? I just did a podcast on the idea is your child overcommitted because there is so many opportunities to enroll your child in events, both that are offered by school systems and also extracurricular opportunities. And it's just a world of opportunity. And so that can become just the primary function you're playing and you're missing the emotional connection with your children. And it wears you out too. You know, you really get a little worn out by the job. So how do you do that? It's interesting because you've got a child that's really, if you've got several children and they love the events they're in, they're not driving. Um, it's, it's a balance because you give up all their events. No, to give up your job as the events coordinator. I think it's making sure you don't see that as your primary role for one and the kind of, you know, what are we talking about in our family? What are we, are we taking time to sit down and have dinner a few times a week or are the events keeping that from happening? So scan that self-evaluation process of how's this going? Is there too much going on? Am I frustrated because I feel like this is my primary role in this you know, as the mother of this family. So it's just, again, creating balance by self-examination, conversation, and maintaining priorities. And understanding too, that it's actually okay for kids to be bored sometimes and to have to figure out what they're going to do on their own. And even when you're home. Yeah, for sure. I think they need it. You know, what do they, how often, that's one of the questions I pose in this particular podcast was how many Calculate how much time a week your child has that's just free time that they have to find something to do on their own. If they have zero, they're missing something because they need to learn. Again, self-exploration and self-development comes from your kind of what being left to yourself. Decide, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And the last one I want to talk to you about, I'll put the rest of them on uh, on my site, my show notes with links to your uh, to your podcast and your site and of course to purchase the book as well. Um, it's give up guilt. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, my experience with guilt is there's two kinds of guilt. There's healthy guilt. For example, you yell at your kids, you feel guilty about it. I'd say that's a good Thing, then use that as a motivator to make a change rather than just the cycle of I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad parent, I just yell at my kids and I feel guilty all the time. Guilt showing up is a message to say, you know better, uh, how can you change this? Guilt as far as feeling that you're inadequate, as far as your sort of the esteem you're, as a parent, your parent esteem I'm an inadequate parent that actually, if you do not give up a lot of these, what's on this list, you would very easily fall into feeling guilty. A lot. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's not real. It's, it's self-created. It's a self-perception. It's based on 
lies and incorrect beliefs about yourself in the world. And you're compromising yourself as a parent because a parent that feels less than inadequate and guilty isn't the best parent as far as a role model about a healthy human being. And yeah, you know, I the how I came to know all of this is I started my parenting role in a very dysfunctional place. I was suicidally depressed. I was re- I was in a horrible horrible. I enrolled myself in therapy at age 29 in psychotherapy because I knew how much potential I had to mess up my children based on my own issues. And one of them was feeling guilty. And I I've, I healed, I recovered, I got really healthy, and I raised five amazing children. And a lot of, didn't happen overnight, they were a part of that. You know, there was a lot of open communication in their developmental years about my own dysfunction, about things they needed to see in themselves. And they're all doing amazing and and we're really honest and guilt just doesn't, you know, which guilt are you running? If it's healthy guilt, make a change. If it's self applied to your own, you know, that you're inadequate, you've got to retrain how you see yourself. What thoughts are going through your head to perpetuate feeling that guilty that you're a bad mom? Well, thank you so much, Carol. You've given me a ton to think about, and I'm sure the listeners as well. And I'll have um, a lot of the information that we've talked about today, as well as links to your site, to your podcast, and to purchase the book at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts. And this is episode four. Thank you so much, Carol, for being with me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being on the show. And that brings us to the end of episode four of This Mom Loves. Thank you so much for listening. If you are able to subscribe to the podcast, if you could rate it or review it wherever you listen, that would be very helpful so that others can find it. It's um, it's really important for a new podcast podcast like this one to be uh, to be shared and talked about so that other people know where it is and where to find it and can listen to. Uh, you can find all of the show notes at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts and click on episode four. As I mentioned, I'll have a link to the book that I recommended, all the party theme information and all the details about Carol Tuttle. I would like to say a special thank you to my editor, Lucas Wojcicki, and leave you with some last words. And I feel like they do have quite a connection to parenting. They're from first century Greek philosopher Epictetus. And here is the quote. Happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. Some things are within your control and some things are not. Thank you for listening and have a great week.